Well, good morning. It's uh, good to be here on the, the Lord's Day to worship Christ together, uh, to a people who have been redeemed by the person and work of Christ. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. And we'll read Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 13, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer, asking for His help and blessing upon His Word. This is the inerrant, inspired, holy Word of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. Let's pray. O Lord, you are holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of your glory. And so we come into your holy and glorious presence this morning. Praising you and standing in all of you and who you are. Recognizing our own wretchedness and sinfulness in in your glorious and holy presence. And so in light of 
your holiness. We are so thankful this morning for your beloved Son who came and who is fully God and fully man and lived the perfect life we could never live and who went to the cross and died in our place and was substituted in our place on the cross for our sins and who bore the wrath of God on our behalf that we might be reconciled to you, God. And we thank you, Jesus, that you were buried and you rose from the grave, conquering sin and Satan and eternal death on behalf of those that repent and trust in Christ and Christ alone. And so, God, would you this morning, would you come and would you use your word to save those who are lost in this room? That in your kindness you would lead them to repentance and cause them to be born again. For those of us that are in Christ, would you increase our affections for you, Jesus, our love and joy and satisfaction in you, our obedience to you? Oh, Lord, come this morning and speak to us through your word. Incline our hearts to your word. Unite our hearts to fear your name. Give us a fresh vision of who you are and your holiness and your glory and your exaltation and your sovereignty this morning. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as you see in verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, that would be the year 740 B.C., And uh, you read in 2 Chronicles 26 about Uzziah. Uzziah came to the throne at the age of 16 years old. His father, Amaziah, was wicked and was murdered. And so Uzziah came to the throne at a very young age, at 16. And he reigned for 52 years the second longest reign in Israel, Manasseh being the longest reign of 55 years. And he was, for the most part, a good king. You can read about all of his accomplishments in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And as long as he sought the Lord, the Lord made him prosper. But then something happened in Uzziah's life. Once Uzziah became strong, he became prideful. And he decided that being a king wasn't enough and that he wanted to go into the temple to burn incense in the temple to play the role of a priest. And he goes into the temple to burn incense. And 80 strong priests said, what are you doing, Uzziah? Why are you going into the temple to burn incense? That's only for the priests. And they try to keep Uzziah from going into the temple. But yet, Uzziah still went in. And as a result, the Lord struck Uzziah with leprosy on his forehead. And Uzziah was taken out by these priests. And he lived the rest of his life in quarantine. So Uzziah's life started off really well, but the end of his life, it did not end well. He flaunted the very holiness of God. And as a result, 
Uzziah's life looked a lot like the nation of Israel at his time. The nation of Israel was in a crisis. In 586 B.C., Babylon would come to Jerusalem, destroy the city of Jerusalem, which would be about 150 years after King Uzziah died in 740 B.C. And the reason for that is because the nation of Israel, you can read about this in Isaiah 1, started going through the motions. They started practicing all kinds of external religious activities, but their hearts were far from God. They had forsaken the Lord and His law. And the prophet Isaiah came to Israel and pronounced woes upon them due to them forsaking the Lord, due to their greed, due to their moral corruptness. And so this was a very tragic time in the, in the life of the nation of Israel, just as it was in the life of King Uzziah. And so when King Uzziah died, this was absolutely devastating for the nation of Israel. Keep in mind, 52 years he had reigned as their king. And for the most part, again, he was a, a good king compared to the other kings in the nation of Israel. And so in the year that King Uzziah died, 740 B.C., when all human hope was lost, Isaiah gets a vision. And this would have been a hopeful vision not only for Isaiah but for the people of Israel because Isaiah, being a prophet, would work within the court, would be an ambassador to the king. And so he needed this vision of the Lord just as much as the nation of Israel needed this vision of the Lord, just as much as we today need this vision of the Lord. Amen. So what did Isaiah see? Well, if you look at verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. And I want to stop there for just a second. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. So the nation of Israel is in crisis. Uzziah has died, their king of 52 years. But here we see Yahweh is alive and unfazed. Amen. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. He's sitting Unfaced, sovereign. He's sitting upon a throne. And he is high and lifted up. So we see here that in the midst of this nation being in crisis and their king has died, we see that Yahweh is alive. And he's absolutely sovereign and exalted and glorious. It says in verse 1, And the train of his robe filled the temple. The hem of his robe filled the temple. This is not all of his robe. This is just the hem of his robe. When I was reading this, I thought of a wedding 
my wife and I's wedding and when it was time to take pictures on the beach in Hawaii and they took her dress, the hem of her robe, and they stretched it out. And I envisioned the hem of her robe filling not only the, the beach of Kauai, but then continues to go all, and it stretches out over the sky. And, I mean, it just keeps going and going and going. And that's just the hem. That's just the hem of his robe that is filling the temple. This is showing the, how glorious the Lord is, how majestic he is, that even just the hem of his robe fills the entire temple. And then it doesn't stop there. In verse 2, above him stood the seraphim, and each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So above him stood these seraphim. Seraphim means flames, burning ones. These are supernatural angelic beings that are perfect. And they constantly and always reside in the very presence of the Lord. And how are they responding to the presence of the Lord? Notice they're standing above him. They're doing his bidding. And notice that they are, with two wings, they're covering their face. Why covering their face? Because they're in the very presence of the holy God. This glorious, exalting, sovereign Lord that they have to cover their face. And then they cover their feet. This is reverence, submission. And with two, he flew. These are celestial helicopters flying around doing the Lord's bidding. And then what are they doing in verse 3? They're calling to one another and saying, holy, holy, holy is the, the Lord of hosts. Not just holy. He is holy, holy, holy. It's the only attribute mentioned three times in the Scriptures. Nowhere else will you find in the Word of God, God is love, love, love. Or that God is mercy, mercy, mercy. So only here do we see that the attribute of God's holiness is mentioned three times. To, and it's, you, you sense the immensity of it, right? How emphatic this is. That these seraphim are calling to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And keep in mind that this isn't just an army of angels. This is heavenly armies, plural. Notice the, the Lord of hosts. So you have a host of heavenly armies, myriads upon myriads of angels 
that are adorning the Lord and worshiping the Lord and standing in awe of the Lord and in reverence to Him. And then notice this, the whole earth is full of His glory. So this is the holiness that has gone public. This is the very manifestation of God's presence that has gone global. The whole earth is full of His glory. And then in verse 4, notice this, that the very presence of this holy God impacts the environment around Him. Not only are the seraphim covering their eyes and their feet, but then notice what's happening in verse 4. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So the Lord is a consuming fire. I think about Mount Sinai. When the very presence of the Lord was on Mount Sinai, there was thunder and lightning and smoke and shaking. And so because of the very presence of this holy God, the environment around him is is profoundly impacted. Was filled with smoke. He is, again, a consuming fire. And so in light of the Lord's Holiness and his glory and his exaltation and his absolute sovereignty, how does Isaiah respond? Does he respond by saying, I am so great. I am so wonderful. I am so righteous. Is that how Isaiah responds? Look at verse 5 with me. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So in light of the Lord's holiness, Isaiah responds by saying, Woe is me. This is a pronouncement of a curse upon himself. He had pronounced woes to the nation of Israel that we see in chapters 1 through 5, and now Isaiah is including himself in that. See, Isaiah does not stand above the people of Israel. He recognizes that he himself is a sinner. Matter of fact, Woe is me, for I am lost. Some translations is, I am undone, I am ruined, I am doomed. I think about Ezekiel when he encountered the holiness of God. He fell on his face as if he was dead. Or I think about Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration when they encountered the glory of Christ. They recognize their sinfulness. Or Peter in Luke chapter 5 when he experiences and encounters the glory of Jesus and he says, depart from me, I am a sinner. Because he was in the very presence of the glory of Christ, in the very presence of Jesus. So here Isaiah responds 
in light of the Lord's holiness, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Now notice here, a man, I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah was a prophet who spoke the very words of God to God's people. And the very gift that God gave Isaiah, even that very gift, the best of Isaiah, being a prophet of God, speaking the very words of God, was unclean. Unclean. Think about the Word of God that says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And here, Isaiah says, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a a people of unclean lips. So Isaiah recognizes his sinfulness. And then look what happens when he recognizes his own sinfulness. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Purification. Forgiven. Atoned for. So Isaiah encounters the holiness, the glory, the sovereignty of the Lord, he recognizes and acknowledges his own wretchedness and sinfulness. And then what does the Lord do? The Lord sends a seraphim to cleanse him and to purify him, to forgive him, to uh, atone for him. This altar he had taken with tongues from the altar is atonement. And just imagine... I'm just thinking about like a barbecue, right? Like coals. And then taking a coal from a barbecue, right? And, and touching it to your lips. It would be painful. See, purification is painful. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So, Isaiah is purified, forgiven, cleansed. And I want to stop here for a second because anytime that we read the Old Testament scriptures, we must ask, how does this ultimately point to the personal work of Christ? Because Jesus himself tells us in Luke chapter 24 that the Old Testament scriptures point to him, testify about him, concern him. And right here, it makes it really easy for us to point this passage to the person and work of Christ. Because Christ has come. Being fully God, fully man, came from heaven down to earth and went to the cross, the altar of the cross, and he died on the cross for your sins and my sins. He took on our sins, and if you've repented and you're trusting in Christ, you have gotten his perfect righteousness. His perfect righteousness has been imputed to you. 
And your sin has been atoned for by the blood of Christ, by the person and work of Jesus. And now, if you're in Christ, you can come in the very presence of this holy God. You can have access to him. So Christ has come to take away our sins and atone for them. And then look in verse 8. And this is the first time that we hear God speak. Before this, it was the seraphim calling out to one another saying that the Lord is holy, holy, holy. But here the Lord speaks himself in verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So now that Isaiah has been purified and cleansed, he is now ready to be sent out and commissioned by the Lord for proclamation. So you have Isaiah encountering the very holy presence of God. Then you see him, he is purified. And then now he's ready to be sent to proclaim. And we must not get those out of order. Isaiah cannot go to proclaim a message of judgment and of salvation, as we'll see here in just a second, if he hasn't himself received salvation. If he himself has not been purified. So now he's ready. So the Lord says, go. And we see here, that Isaiah's ministry was not going to be easy. It was going to be very difficult. These are dark days for the nation of Israel. The Lord is going to send Isaiah to a people who will not listen to him. Sounds familiar. We're living in those days. The majority of the people do not want to hear the gospel. So keep on hearing. This is his message. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So there's going to be, as Isaiah proclaims this message, there's going to be a further hardening of the heart of the people of Israel. They will not listen to Isaiah. And ultimately, really, they, Isaiah speaks the very words of God, so they're not listening to the Lord. And uh, this passage here, this uh, passage, verse 9 through, um, 9 through 9 and 10, is repeated often in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus actually quoted from Isaiah 6 when he taught on the parables. 
as a way of judgment. When we look at Jesus' life and ministry, the majority of the people rejected him. Paul, in the book of Acts, at the very end of Acts, he gathers the Jerusalem, the leaders of Jerusalem, the Jews, and they too do not want to listen to him as he proclaims the gospel. So this passage is repeated often in the New Testament. And then, of course, now can you imagine, can you imagine your ordination or your commissioning being, hey, I'm going to send you to a people who will not hear the gospel. They won't listen to you. They will shut their ears. Their eyes will be blinded. Their hearts will be hardened. They just won't listen. So, of course, Isaiah, what does he say in verse 11? How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? And the Lord said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And as I mentioned earlier, this would happen. So the Lord commissions Isaiah to continue to proclaim this message, although the people won't listen to him, until judgment. And the judgment would come about 150 years later. In 586 B.C. is when the Babylonians came to Jerusalem. And they took over and they destroyed the city, temple, and they brought the people of Israel into exile, most of them to Babylon. But Isaiah, keep proclaiming until the judgment comes. Because there's hope. There's hope. Verse 13, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terabith or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. So there will be a remnant. There will be a remnant in Isaiah's day. And there is going to be a, a remnant in our day a people that God has chosen before the foundation of the world to save by his grace and by his spirit through the person and work of Christ. There's hope. So keep proclaiming the gospel. Keep, keep preaching the gospel faithfully and clearly to others. Although majority will not listen, there will be a remnant that the Lord will save and preserve. And notice this, this last sentence here, the holy seed is its stump. The holy seed would be the remnant it is its stump. It's interesting because in Isaiah 11, which we read around Christmas time, we read about a shoot coming out of the stump of Jesse. Who is that shoot? It's none other than Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And when he came the first time, 
proclaim the message, repent, and believe in the gospel. And were there some that repented and believed upon Christ? Absolutely. There's a remnant. While there was a majority of them that walked away, rejecting Christ and his message, so much that they nailed him to a cross. There is a remnant, and there is hope. So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters in Christ, for those of you that are in Christ this morning, endure, persevere, and faithfully proclaiming the gospel to others, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even as we live in dark days as a nation. Keep proclaiming the gospel faithfully and clearly, knowing that God in his sovereignty and all of his glory and his holiness is saving a people for himself. He is saving a people for himself. He is calling a people to himself from all over the world. So my hope and prayer for you is, and, and, and for me is that we will, we will encounter the Lord in a fresh way this morning, that we will catch a glimpse of the holiness of God, a fresh vision of his glory and his holiness and his exaltation and his sovereignty. And when we do, and how we know when we do is that then we will recognize our own sinfulness our wretchedness, like Isaiah. Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. So we will recognize our own sinfulness and recognize the sinfulness around us. And then we will be reminded of the gospel this morning, that there is this shoot that comes up from the stump that came to die in your place and in my place. For your sins and my sins took on the wrath of God on my behalf and on your behalf that you might spend an eternity with him. And if you are not in Christ this morning, I plead with you. I plead with you to be reconciled to God in and through the person or work of Christ. I plead with you to repent and believe upon the gospel to turn from your sins and put your trust in Christ and Christ alone. Because there is a far worse judgment to come. A far worse judgment to come. So would you cling to Christ? Would you repent and trust in him this morning? Let's pray. Oh Lord, Again, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for revealing yourself to us in and through your word that you are holy, holy, holy. That you are sovereign and exalted and glorious. That the whole earth is filled with your glory. And in light of your glory, God, we recognize and acknowledge our own sinfulness this morning and our desperate need of Christ. 
And so we cling to Christ this morning, putting our trust in Him and Him alone for who He is and what He's done for us through His life, death, and resurrection. Putting no confidence in ourselves, but putting our confidence in Him and Him alone. And we thank You that for those of us that are in Christ, You now tell us those that have been cleansed from their sin and purified, You now have sent us to go. To go and proclaim the Gospel and to make disciples of all nations. So would you help us by your grace and spirit through the person and work of Christ to walk in obedience to you in doing that. And for those of us that are not in Christ this morning, oh God, would you grant repentance and cause them to be born again this morning? Which I just plead, oh God, would you move and work in their hearts to help them to see your holiness and your glory and your exaltation, your sovereignty, and that they would turn from their sins and put their trust in Christ this morning. So as we continue to sing to you, may you be pleased with our worship. May we worship you in spirit and truth, exalting you and praising you for being the sovereign, holy, exalting, and glorious God that you are. And we love you. We pray these things.